in the hobby. It's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking that we could pull, I don't know, Hall of Famer. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com. The only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. There is nothing more fun than opening an Arena Club slab pack. I mean, it is so much better than any mystery pack that I've ever purchased because there is a focus on transparency. There is a display of available cards. There are hit rates you can get. When you're graded, you're given a rationale. It is the marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, and displaying. Arena Club Slab Packs are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your pulls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling. You can have them officially graded by Arena Club. The Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent, with a full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. Whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform you have to check out. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash badmoney. Wow, that's a crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack, that's $40 right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash badmoney for 10% off your first purchase. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. You got problems that you ought to be concerned with. Hello and welcome to Bad With Money, a show about finances and feelings where we don't talk down to you. I'm very excited because today we have Vivian Tu of Your Rich BFF. Do you want to tell my audience who you are and what you do and explain Rich BFF? 
Yeah. What's up, besties? My name is Vivian Tu, aka Your Rich BFF and your favorite Wall Street girly. So essentially, I started my career as a trader on Wall Street. I think a lot of people are surprised by that because I look like I'm 18 years old. Thank you, Asian skin and SPF regimen. But also, you know, transparently, like Wall Street is a very white male dominant culture. And it was really cool to be one of the only people of color, one of the only women on the desk. And when I ended up leaving the industry and going to my next job in tech and media, all of my new friends were like, you come from Wall Street. Like, finally, I have a friend who can explain to me what I should be buying in my 401k, which health insurance plan to pick. And like, are our company stock options like worth anything. And so I started explaining that to my friends at work and I would get the same questions over and over again to the point where I was like, you guys are so annoying. Leave me alone. Like I have to get my work done. And I just started putting it on the internet thinking that my seven coworker friends would watch. But turns out a lot more people needed that information. And what I like to say is I worked on Wall Street making rich people much, much richer. I worked in the tech industry, the media industry, making corporations richer. And now my job is to be a social media creator where I help regular people get richer. And I love that. What drew you to Wall Street? You know, transparently the money. Anybody who says otherwise is lying. Like, like I don't know. People are like, oh, I, I'm just really passionate about financial markets. I'm like, yeah, okay, buddy. But like, for me, I grew up in an immigrant home. Both of my parents came to the U.S. in their early 20s. We're from China. And growing up, I would say money was tight. And we were very fortunate in that my family's financial situation changed quite a bit around when I was in high school. So there suddenly became this opportunity that I was going to be able to go to you know, one of the top tier schools in the country and my parents were going to be able to help me pay for it. And I know that's a huge privilege because so many people don't have that luxury. But growing up, like we did not have a lot of money. And there were a lot of instances where my parents fought about money and I saw what a scarcity of money resulted in. And I really didn't like that. And listen, I'm not a Nepo baby. I'm not a trust fund kid. Like I didn't have a parachute to fall back on. My Chinese parents looked me in the eye and they said, doctor, lawyer, engineer, or financier. Like you get four, like, it's like Panera. You pick two of these options, maybe. She is holding a fake gun to her head. <laughs> yeah. Like, like my parents basically said, like, you have like three to four options of approved careers that you are allowed to have and going to work on Wall Street and making a lot of money and being financially successful was one of those options. Yeah. So when you left, I mean, so you're saying it was cool to be on the floor and stuff. Were you sort of just like gathering info while you were there? Like, because some people, I think, just go to these jobs and then kind of like coast at the job and don't really look into like, what what are we actually, what is our 401k? What is our, like, what are we actually doing? And especially in in tech, I know you worked at BuzzFeed and I worked at BuzzFeed. And I feel like there were a lot of people. Buzz buddies. Oh, God, I feel like there's a lot of people who is myself included, who never like looked at or picked apart any of this stuff. But that were you sort of going through and like interested on your own in looking through like what the options were? So when I was when I was working on Wall Street, when people say they work on Wall Street, they don't actually mean typically, you know, the floor of the New York Stock Exchange or anything like that anymore. After 
9-11, most of the banks actually dispersed through the rest of the city. So all of them are in different places now. I was actually just up in Midtown. And when you think about like trader, you think typically of like the, the floor brokers like yelling and like, you know, Wolf of Wall Street. It's not like that. Like I sat at a desk with my six monitors and I was just constantly like pivoting my eyes from monitor to monitor to make sure like nothing crazy was happening with the stocks that I covered. That is very different than personal finance. Watching the markets, learning about economics, micro and macro, like talking about money in that way and like this larger, broader sense is very different. And even though I worked in high finance, like personal finance was not something I was good at. I've heard that a lot. Yes, it is so true because it's so different. It's one thing to move a billion dollars for some mega corporation on a piece of paper in a PowerPoint in an Excel sheet. And it's a completely different other thing to be savvy in your own day-to-day life. And I got really lucky because my first manager and my to this day mentor, she was the one who took me under her wing and she was the first person to be like, are you putting money into your 401k? Like, do you know what that is? And it's because when I showed up day one, everybody was an old white guy in a Patagonia vest. And she was... Uh, she was quite a bit more senior than I was. You know, she was an executive director at the time when I was just like an intern and then an analyst. But like she she knew her way around, you know, around the block. And I think she saw in me her basically 20 years ago. And she realized that like she had never gotten that education because she came from a very similar background, immigrant parents, didn't have a lot of money, went to, you know, a very, very fancy college education, full ride scholarship based on need and came out, you know, lucky, debt free, but she didn't have any of those connections. She didn't have someone to tell her to do these things. And she made a lot of mistakes in her own life. And she was the one to be like, I made this mistake. Don't do it. And God, how lucky am I to have someone like that in my life who literally couldn't take advantage of all of these secret rich people, generational wealth building hacks, but then to turn around and say, I didn't do this. I didn't take advantage of this, but you should. Yeah, that's why having representation and a mentor like really matters. You can't do what you can't see. Exactly. And she was the first time I ever saw myself in this world in this world of being a rich person because, and I always joke about this, like at first it was so shallow. She would click clack into work on the marble floors with her new pair of Gucci stilettos. She would, you know, just fling her new designer bag onto the shelf. Like I was like, be careful. That's a $3,000 bag. Like she did not care. She had so many of them. Like she was losing count, but like I wanted all of those things because I didn't grow up with that. I didn't know what it was like to be able to do that for myself. And that's why I wanted to be like her. That's why I took all of her advice to heart. But over time, it wasn't the designer bags and shoes. It was more so the fact that she was able to take her mom on vacation. It was the fact that when one of her you know, family members needed to get emergency surgery, she paid for it out of pocket because she had it like that. And suddenly money isn't about flexing and showing off. 
It's about buying all of the things in life that are most important to all of us, which is safety, security, love, you know, family, like all of these things that are so intangible. But she showed me richness for the first time and showed me that someone who looked like me deserved it. Beautiful. I was going to say, so what do you define rich as? Yeah, I would say being rich to me is having options and having the freedom to make choices out of a position of power versus a position of desperation. So I will say I have felt rich for a very long time now. And it's not what you think. Being rich to me means at 1130 at night, after a couple drinks with my girlfriends at the bar, I can take an Uber home instead of taking the subway. Because frankly, as an Asian woman, the subway in New York City is not really a place I'm trying to be after like 5 p.m., 6 p.m. Like, let's just call a spade a spade. Freedom with money and richness allowed me to leave my Wall Street job, even though it was incredibly lucrative. It was a great career trajectory. But because I had savings, because I had money, I said, I can take a pay cut to go to BuzzFeed. I'm going to take a bet on myself, make a bet on myself. And that ended up paying dividends. It was freedom for me and my roommate to leave this horrible roach-infested apartment. And we paid $8,000 to break our lease, $4,000 a piece. And one, it was devastating because $4,000 was like every dollar I had saved at the time. But I wasn't going to sleep one more night in that shitty roach-infested apartment. And I didn't have to because I had it like that. I was rich. And... Rich doesn't mean you're shitting on a golden toilet. It means you have the ability to make choices where money is not a limiting factor. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math and see how you'll profit with NetSuite. Everything is more expensive these days when you're running a business, and you would be wise to find proven ways to cut costs and boost performance at the same time. The fact that you are able to reduce your IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud is incredible. And the ability to access your cloud financial system from anywhere saves you so much time and stress. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash badwithmoney. netsuite.com slash badwithmoney. netsuite.com slash badwithmoney. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. You guys know that I have had allergies for forever. I've had seasonal allergies since I was a kid. It causes pressure in my face, under my eyes. They're my ultimate handbrake. When my nose is plugged up, I feel like I can't do anything. I can't enjoy food because I can't taste it. I can't work out because I feel tired and distracted. I can't even host the show because my voice sounds like a duck. And listen... I am already dealing with vocal strain from testosterone and my voice dropping. I don't need any more problems with allergies. Luckily, for those of us who live with symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. 
Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. I've been taking Claritin D for allergies like probably for the last 10 years or something, and it's been an absolute life changer. I can go outside without my eyes watering like a fountain. I can speak without feeling like a frog has jumped in my throat. I get really embarrassed when I'm sneezing all the time. I have like an itchy nose or throat, like ugh, like just the, the itchiness in the back of your sinuses is like so distracting and so annoying. And I get like pressure in my ears too. It's really painful. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a new candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy. It would be so much easier if I was looking for someone to help me with sweetening audio or let's say someone to run my merch shop or all the little things that go into running a podcast. Usually something like that would be so slow and overwhelming. And honestly, I wish I had used Indeed and I will use Indeed in the future. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash badwithmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash badwithmoney right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash badwithmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I mean, you had the lucrative job. That's like a big, a big start. And then how did you start saying, okay, I'm going to try to get rich? Yeah. Okay. So we talked about, you know, the lucrative job, right? When I had the lucrative job, I wasn't suddenly rich. The very first year in New York, I was living paycheck to paycheck. And listen, your girl was spending a lot on tequila shots in the East Village. Let's just, let's be honest. I was buying stuff that I didn't need that to impress people I didn't like with money I didn't have. And I wanted to wear designer. I wanted to go out. I wanted to go to the, the restaurants and do all that. And it wasn't until the roach infested apartment and I had to give up $4,000. That was all the money I had saved from the first like year and a half of working. And to me, giving that up felt like I had just worked a full calendar year, a little bit more than a full calendar year in a grueling job. I was working, you know, 5.45 AM to 7 or 8 PM every night. I was no better off than when I had moved to New York. I felt like I had basically run on a treadmill for a year. I had not gone any further in my life. I had not gotten any better off. And 
I made a calculated decision at that time that I was going to change my life, that I did not want to ever feel the way I felt after I had to write that $4,000 check. And I tightened the belt really hard for a while. You know, I think it had a lot to do with one, knowing my worth, negotiating more for more money every single year, leaving my job to make more money, even if it meant a lower salary, I knew I could make more in my bonus or in commissions, what have you. But also it really, really, you know, I was uncomfortable for probably six to 12 months. I was really uncomfortable. And by that, I meant I was going out of my way to save money. Like I was taking the subway at 11 p.m. at night. And I was, you know, certainly making some decisions that like my mom probably wouldn't have approved of. Like I would walk home in the rain because I was like, I'm not paying for a cab. And maybe I would have, you know, pneumonia the next day. I don't know. But I was really, really focused on saving money. And with all that money that I saved, I actually went to my mentor and I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. Like, I'm done. Like, I, w- I want to be rich. Like, what do I do with it? And she was like, well, you need to be investing. Yeah. So I first set aside like an emergency fund just because I knew that like shit happens and I didn't want to be caught off guard. But once I had like, I want to say like, three months of living expenses. Typically the rule of thumb is three to six months. I was living on the edge. I was like, three is good enough. I started chucking every dollar I could squeeze out into investing. I had a 401k with work. I also had a small pension through work. So that was stuff that you know I was contributing to and my employer was matching or my employer was setting aside for me individually. I opened up a Roth IRA for myself. So an individual retirement account. I even opened up a taxable brokerage, which is, you know, it doesn't necessarily have as many tax benefits, but it was still worth doing. And I was putting every dollar that I could somehow get aside into investments because I was like, I'm done. Into a taxable brokerage account? Yeah. Like a TD Ameritrade or whatever? Yeah. Like uh, like the benefit of a 401k or a Roth IRA or something like that is like, not only are you investing for the future, but like you get a tax Benny because with a 401k, you don't pay taxes on the front end. And with a Roth IRA, you don't, t- you don't pay taxes on the back end when you take the money out. With a taxable brokerage, you pay taxes on the front end and the back end. But even with that, it was still worth doing. It was still worth investing because investment gains and earnings are taxed at a lower percentage overall than ordinary income. So there was still some level of benefit, but like literally every dollar I could humanly set aside, I was. You would, it's like, well, but you have to spend it on health. And it's like, yeah, but if you leave it, when you're in your 70s, you're going to need stuff for health. It's not like that's not going to be priority number one. Yeah. Well, an HSA is so wonderful and I have one now, but essentially it is the triple threat. Money that goes into the account is Mm pre-tax and sometimes your employer matches, which is great. So that's Mm -hmm. free money. Then any qualified medical expenses you can utilize Mm -hmm. tax-free. And that sometimes includes like stuff like medicated chapstick, like a blister. I know. Which is crazy, right? Like so good. It's like Botox. Like it's so silly. (laughs) Gabe, don't get crazy with this. I certainly know. Then if you don't end up using all of that money, you can actually start taking withdrawals. Like 
it's a, just a regular 401k yeah. at 59 and a half. And to your point, frankly, I do think like you'll eventually end up using the money for medical expenses because when you get older, medical expenses become a really big portion of your expenditures. Mm-hmm. So it's always good to have that. And especially if you are young and relatively healthy and HSA is likely the best option with a high deductible health plan because when you get the fancy PPO, mm-hmm. you are spending a bunch every single month on premiums. But if you're not yeah. actually going to see all these doctors or all these specialists, like that money just goes into a black pit and goes away. Right. Whereas the money that goes into your HSA is yours forever. Not an FSA. Those are a little different. No, those that, go away. That has, those go away. That has use it or lose <laughs> it. But HSAs, that money is yours forever. And if you are just someone who's like, you know, I'm a re- like a relatively healthy person. I go to the doctor once a year for my annual physical. You know, I get a, a pap smear and I, you know, I maybe go see the dermatologist twice a year. Like, yeah. And HSA is probably the best bet because you're going to spend less overall to get right. the adequate medical care for you. I mean, so were you like, did you have any setbacks or anything where, because I had a whole thing where I was investing outside of my, you know, tax advantaged accounts. I had a terrible breakup and like that required me to take money out. And so it's been like a very slow rebuild from this breakup. So I'm just curious. I feel like a lot of people that listen to this show get started and then have these like terrible setbacks and then have to figure out how to start over again. And it's like very demoralizing to start over again. So I was just curious about like, you know, if you were like, well, I'm I'm I feel like people think the road to getting rich is like smooth or something. It's not. Well, first and foremost, do I need to tell the Roach story again? (laughs) But two, you know, I think everybody thinks that I knew what I was doing from day one. Absolutely not. The first experience and foray I had into investing was atrocious. (laughs) I had spent the summer as an intern at JP Morgan, which is where I ended up getting my full-time job. And I was a really good intern. I was you know, well-liked. The team thought I was smart. Every intern in on our floor had to do an intern presentation. When we got to the room where they briefed us on the presentation, they were like, each of you is going to pick a sector. You're going to pick a stock to buy, to like, you know, to uh, sell, and then one to do an options trade on. And I don't know if it's just because like I got busy into a couple other meetings or what have you, but like I was one of the last people to end up picking my se- to pick my sector, and you couldn't pick the same sector as somebody else. Oh, no. So like the really easy sectors like retail and like consumer products like were immediately snatched up. Those tech companies that everybody loves, like the you know major like Fang like whatever like snatched up, gone. When, by the time I got to pick my sector, there were only like a couple really like known to be challenging sectors left. And I ended up picking biotech. So like, oh. like biological technology, pharmaceutical companies, which are so tough. Hard to, so, so hard tough. to guess. Yes. And so I did all of this research. I absolutely sweet talked the research analyst into prepping me. And like, he let me practice pitch him. And he was so nice. I may or may not have showed up to his desk with like a donut and a coffee one day. But he really prepped me. And to the point where I felt like, and it was agreed upon, my intern presentation was one of the best that summer. Like I crushed it. There was not a single question I could not answer. Mm -hmm. And people were like, You absolutely did a great job. And they kept saying all of these good things to me. And I was like, oh, I know the biotech sector. I am a God among men. Like I am Mm -hmm. so good. 
I am so smart. So obviously, when you work on Wall Street, when I was an intern, you are not allowed to be trading while you are employed there. And when you are a full-time employee, you can't trade anything that is on your book of stuff that you trade at work. But as soon as I signed my full-time offer and signed my, you know, like termination of the internship letter, it was basically like, okay, you no longer work here. You're free and clear for the next nine months. Go back to school. We'll see you in June. I was like, sick. Okay, now I have all this information. I'm going to trade on some of the stuff that I've learned. And I bought this one stock. I'm not going to name names, but I bought this stock thinking that it was the end-all be-all greatest thing on earth. The, the miracle drug that they were working on failed phase three trials. Uh-oh. And the stock price halved. Oh, no. And what I don't tell people is that I took 50% of the money I made that summer slaving away, you know, 16-hour days at my desk. I came in on weekends to look really productive. I took half of it and I put it into this one stock Oh no! because I'm so smart. And it halved. And I watched a quarter of my earnings from that summer disappear basically overnight. Right. And to feel like I thought I was on top of the world. I knew everything. I was so smart to just have it like thrown back in my face and be like, in fact, you're an idiot Mm. and you're not a good stock picker. This is hard to do. Biotech is an extremely unpredictable industry. Like I finally got it, Mm. but it hurt. It was a very expensive teachable moment. But even though that was a setback, it didn't stop me from continuing to invest in a more diversified portfolio. I wasn't Mm -hmm. just buying one stock in the future. I mean, that's like people's nightmare is that's what they think of when they think of the stock market is watching their money go like to zero. I mean, I, I'm yes. in a, a Reddit group and there'll be people that are like, so all my money is gone now. What do I do? And it'll like, oh, no. Yeah. And it'll be I mean, it's interesting because oftentimes it's like it'll be like a guy in his mid 20s and people will be like, yeah. hey, man, start over, I guess. Yeah. Like take it on the chin. Which is wild to be like, let, yeah. let take it on the chin for yeah. uh, for something that is like life changing amounts of money. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think like probably listening to creators and saying like, you know, going in with with a diversified portfolio from the jump, doing the S&P 500 from the jump is maybe a way to avoid this sort of like you know, you're 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 saying, hey, do as I'm saying, not as I did. Well, I also think that the the stories that like really resonate with people is that like I would sit on the desk and I would pick up phone calls on our turret, which is basically like a megaphone. Like you could you have multiple lines going and multiple buttons and they all like light up and stuff. We got calls all the time being like, hey, this hedge fund's blowing up. We're going to unwind all of our trades and we're liquidating. And I, and it like the first time it happened, I was like, oh, this is like horrible. This is like crazy. And the whole fund is gone. Not that, that they'd lost all the money, but they had lost enough money that they felt the need to return the capital back to investors and maybe basically be like, sorry, we're out. <laughs> my senior trader, when I was like, oh my God, I can't believe this is happening. They were like, yeah, get used to it. Like it's like the people who get paid hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars a year for this to be their full-time job who have 
literally billions of dollars of technology at their fingertips so that they can find out information faster than anybody else, dig deeper than anybody else, they still get it wrong. They spend 14 to 16 hours at their desk every day researching these topics every day, and they still get it wrong. The best and brightest minds who have economics degrees from Harvard and math degrees from Stanford and whatever, like they get it wrong. What makes you think your your four and a half minutes of searching on Yahoo Finance, like and reading an overview summary of a company's, you know, what they do for business, what makes you think you actually understand what's going on? You don't. It's better to just be a lazy investor. Hey guys, Gabe Dunn here. I just wanted to let you guys know that I have a Patreon at patreon.com slash Gabe S. Dunn. And on that Patreon, I'm going to start doing live hangs with everyone who is a patron. So if you want to join the Patreon, you can get all these episodes ad free, videos of our mailbag episodes, extra writing from me, blogs, fiction, other stuff, things that I'm thinking about with regards to money and personal stories. And also now live hangs with me on Zoom once a month. So join the Patreon. And if you're not a member of the Discord, hop on over to the Discord. That's free. The link will be in the description. It's so fun. So many of you guys talk over there. It's like truly popping off. Um, And if you're on the Discord, I would love to see you in the live hang so I get to put a face to a name. So yeah, please join patreon.com slash Gabe S. Dunn and come hang out with me. Managing my finances is incredibly stressful and time consuming. I'm sure you guys know you've been with me on this journey. You know how many finance apps I've tried. You know how much they haven't worked for me. And I'm always on the hunt for a finance app that fits my life. And then I tried Monarch. It is so easy to use with powerful features, collaboration tools, intuitive design, personalization, constant product improvements. I really value an app that allows me to do all of this without confusion. And especially important to me is intuitive design and the ability to personalize because clearly finance is not one size fits all. Did you know that money issues are a leading cause of divorce? Monarch, the top rated personal finance app, also has built-in collaboration features so you can invite your partner at no extra cost. Together, you can see all your finances, collaborate on your budget, and get insights on your cash flow and recurring transactions. It's the easiest way to manage your household finances. Are you saving for a down payment, a wedding, a dream vacation? Monarch makes it so easy to help you reach your financial goals. That's why the Wall Street Journal named it the best app for growing your savings. Have you been frustrated with personal finance apps that are cluttered with ads, difficult to use, rarely updated? So was Monarch. They built a new kind of personal finance app that's intuitive and powerful and ad-free and constantly improving based on customer feedback. Experience a personal finance app that prioritizes the user experience above all else. Monarch is the top-rated, all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash badmoney. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. Plus, there's ad-free privacy you can trust. We will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. 
After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash badmoney. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash badmoney for your extended 30-day free trial. I love to track progress. As you guys know from listening to this show, I'm constantly tracking my progress. What have we done so far in 2024? And spring is in full bloom. Are your finances blooming too? With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, it's easy to start building credit with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments with no annual fees or interest. And if your credit scores grow, so could your opportunities for lower rates on loans like for a car or a home. You can use it everywhere Visa credit cards are accepted. That's right, you can build your credit using your own money. Get paid up to two days early with direct deposit. With a qualifying direct deposit, you can get access to your money sooner. Fee-free overdraft with SpotMe. Overdraft up to $200 without fees with SpotMe when you set up a qualified direct deposit. Just set up a qualifying direct deposit, sign up for SpotMe, and Chime will spot you up to your limit when you make a credit card purchase or cash withdrawal that exceeds your balance. Access 60,000 plus fee-free ATMs. That's more than the top three national banks combined. Easily find one near you with the Chime app. Send and receive money. Use Chime to pay anyone. Chime members are not and cash out your money fee-free. With Chime's secure credit card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started at Chime.com slash bad money. That's Chime.com slash bad money. Chime. Feels like progress. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com slash disclosures for details. So where were you putting like when you were scrounging around, where were you putting your dollars? I literally was so, so risk averse at that point. I was like, I am just going to chuck my money. If all the money that I had in my employer sponsored accounts, I put into target date retirement funds. So I was like, okay, like I'm this number of years old. I'm going to calculate back when I turn 60. And then I found the year that most closely associated with that. So like they have target date funds that are like, 2020, 2025, 2030, 2035, all the way up to like 2070 now. I think based on my age, I was on a 2055 fund. Okay. And I just put my money into that. When it came to my Roth IRA or my taxable brokerages, I was largely just putting my money into, you know, index funds that tracked the S&P 500, like a VOO or the total market, like a VTI. I tried to keep it really simple and it's paid off. What is a target date fund for people listening? Yeah. So this is like crockpot investing. So if you are ready to make some buffalo chicken dip with me, let's do this. Essentially, what you do with a target date retirement fund is you calculate the year that you would turn 60 and find the year most closely associated with that. And that is the target date retirement fund you would want to buy. So what exactly happens in a target date retirement fund? Basically, there is somebody at a desk click, 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 clicking away. And they are pulling together an investment portfolio, basically a basket of investments that makes sense for you or makes sense for the average person your age. Mm -hmm. So obviously when you are in your twenties, your risk tolerance is a lot higher because retirement is 40 years away. away. Yeah. Whereas when you are in your forties or fifties, 
your risk tolerance is quite a bit lower because retirement's only 10 to 20 years away. Mm -hmm. And what you'll find is that target date retirement funds change over time. So you don't have to keep rebalancing and rebalancing. Somebody else is doing that for you. And target date funds that are, you know, closer to the current year are less risky. And the ones that are further away from the current year are more risky. And basically it's just an easy way to buy one thing and have that one thing be an appropriate measure of risk and be a bunch of different investments that make sense for someone your age. It's risky because you're not sure what the market's going to be in like 30 years. It's not risky in that we don't know what the market's going to be in 30 years. It's just more risk exposed. So Mm. funds that are made for people in their 20s are significantly more exposed to the equities market, the stock market. So there's a little bit more volatility there. Whereas funds made for people in their 50s who are going to retire in five to 10 years have significantly more bond exposure, which is a little bit more of a sure thing, but you're getting lower returns. So essentially what you can remember is higher risk typically higher returns. Right. But you have to be willing to take that risk and have the time to ride that risk out. And if you don't, it may not necessarily make sense for you. Because the bonds are backed by government like money, right? Bonds can be backed by anything. They can be backed by a municipal government. They can be backed by a corporation. They can be backed by, you know, local governments. They can be backed by, you know, distressed companies, which is like a little sketchy, but the returns are much higher there. So like you can get a bond from anyone. Buying a stock is like buying a little piece of the company. Right. But buying bonds is essentially you becoming the bank and lending some of your money to somebody else, something Mm -hmm. else. So what do you currently have? Like what's your, what's your, you know, spread out, let's say if somebody was like, I want to, I want to mirror what Vivian's doing. Yeah. So I don't recommend people mirror what I'm doing (laughs) just because you don't know. Right. But I will say I'm in my twenties. I'm in my late twenties right now. So I am still able to take a lot of risk because retirement for me is still 30 to 40 years away. I would say my portfolio right now is probably 80 to 90% equities and 10 to 20% bonds. Okay. I will also say I take some additional risks outside of just public equities or, or bonds through some additional more risky investments because I have some extra capital. And in my line of work, I do get access to investment opportunities in startups and things like that who are looking for a strategic advisor who, you know, is in the finance space, what have you. Right. And Sometimes that makes sense. Sometimes it doesn't. I don't take everything that's presented to me because at the end of the day, like, yes, I want to help people build their companies, but like, I've also got to get my money back and then some. Yeah. You're like, people you come to you it. with an app. They're like, Vivian, here's my presentation. You're a shark. You're like, for that reason, I'm out. Mm, for that reason, I am out. Yeah, exactly. Like if the, if the numbers don't make sense, like I'm not investing. That's so interesting to get to that point where you're like, okay, let me look at other people's things and see if those actually make sense. Yeah. How often do they make sense? Frankly, not often. I Yeah, I was going to say. Listen, like <laughs> we, we've all seen the stats, right? Like mm-hmm. the vast majority of startups fail. 
Mm-hmm. It's very hard to believe that you are going to be the person who magically finds the next unicorn, the, you know, bumble, whatever. Yeah. Like, it's hard. It's really funny when I see something take off that I thought there wouldn't like Canva, for example, mm. like the way that Canva is all of a sudden so ubiquitously used. I was like, that's not even I think a lot about like when you're creating something, you're either creating a better version of something that already exists <laughs> or you have to create a need for something that people don't even know they, they want. Need. Yeah. So it's like. So it's like kind of crazy because there was Photoshop, but I guess like people really needed something that was free. And but also people needed something that was more layman friendly. Exactly. So I was like, I don't know what those buttons mean. No, I know. So I was just like, wow, like this, they, you know, normal, it's, it's hard to break into like, now we're going to do this, you know, even like something like Postmates or something like Uber, like it's so interesting to me to watch the creation of a because I think it gives people the idea that they're like well I could do that like I could make a thing that's but it's like I don't think they realize how hard it is to start from scratch with name recognition or like brand recognition and listen like uber everybody I know ubers we use uber as a verb I know but uber's still not profitable like let's not forget that like these mega startups that are truly, you know, idolized as legitimate companies. They're, you know, a part of the pop culture zeitgeist at Mm -hmm. this point. But like, Uber's not profitable. Like That's so interesting. What do you mean? There's so much VC money pumped into it, which is why they were able to keep prices low for so long. But now suddenly, I don't know if you've noticed, it's like, Uber's expensive now. Mm -hmm. I saw that as people being like, okay, so what they did was they priced out taxis taxis shut down and then they raise the price i mean it's the amazon model yeah the amazon model it absolutely is i mean that's yeah anyway that's just my my own like thought process as i watch these companies like get made and then become ubiquitous (laughs) or something yeah like the more and more people with social media i mean doing social media the more and more people that are like oh do you just make that on canva i'm like how did everyone start to know about canva was it podcasts like what (laughs) Listen, I'll be totally honest with you. Like me as a company, like I got Photoshop for my team because I was like, oh, we need to make like graphics. And 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 we were making our graphics on Photoshop. And then my my team came to me and basically was like, do you think we have money to spare for a Canva subscription? I was like, wait, what? what? Like I'm paying for Photoshop. Why do you want this? And now we have both. (laughs) I know. It's so interesting. Yeah. Like that's just like my own personal like tracking these companies that start or or even like I think hearing something on a podcast and then going and being like, are people going to order their razors from this place or are they still going to go to yeah. the drugstore? Are people yeah. going to like get stamps from this place or are they going to go still get stamps wherever you get stamps from? It's funny to be given those those opportunities and then you have to parse through what you think will actually be a thing. And then there's the risk of missing out on something huge. Listen, I think this is the phrase that my mentor taught me. When you invest in hindsight, it's 2020. Mm. There's always going to be some FOMO. You're always going to be like, should have been, could have been, would have been. But like, 
you didn't know at the time. And, you know, you can't kick yourself for that. You really can't because yeah. you, you, you will literally go crazy thinking about all of the bajillion dollar things you missed. Like, sick. Like, I, instead of going to college, I should have just put all of my money in Netflix stock. I think and about I that. I can't, like, God, if I could impart anything on the people listening to this, it's like, start so much earlier than I did. Yes. Put money in and like take a look at the things around you that are expected or that are you know you're you're told to do like how you were talking about designer clothes and bags and stuff like even when you were talking about your mentor being rich and saying oh she has like a $3000 bag in my mind i went no why <laughs> don't do it <laughs> but like i i went through a period where i was like well i want like a nice thing and it's like now i look back and i'm like you dumb piece of shit yeah, but you know what but like how can you know how can you know it's not worth it how can you know you it's not worth it but also i am very much of the little treat mentality yeah. you are allowed to enjoy a little treat and yeah I think any person who talks about money or finance and makes you feel bad about yourself about getting that little treat, mm -hmm. like we are living in a dystopian hellscape. Like yeah. you go ahead and get that avocado toast. Like babes, <laughs> it's okay. Like it, it truly is not going to be the, the reason why you can't buy a home. Yeah. I just think that like there are two, two schools of thought. And I talk about this in my book, my upcoming book, Rich AF. There, there's like the little things add up school yeah. of thought, right? Like, the coffee every day, the avocado toast every weekend, it adds up. True. There's the other school of thought, which is, yes, the little things add up, but where you make true change in your financial life is coming, going hard to the paint at the big stuff. Because if you can negotiate the price of your home down by $50,000, which frankly, you know, in this, you know, it's not unheard of to do that. That's coffee for 30 years. Like, and it takes you an extra two emails to try to do that. Like, if you can make the differences count and make the negotiation and the savings count on the biggest purchases of your life in that home, on that car, on the large appliances, on furniture, like, you will actually pretty much be equally as well off as if you were to really scrimp and save on the smaller stuff and then feel less pressure to go hard in the paint when negotiating, you know, your car or, or your house. But I, I'm of the camp that like you are allowed to have little treats. Maybe you don't need to have it every day. You can have it every so often, make yourself feel good. But when you go and you are making some of the biggest purchases in your life, these are pivotal turning points. And if you do not come with your A-game, game face on, ready to negotiate your tush off, you're losing money. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.
or even stuff that I think I think that's what I mean by rethinking how you think of things. Cause like, you're like, well, I, I should, I shouldn't do these certain things because that's what I've been told by financial people when it's like, well, what if you furnish your house with furniture that you already kind of had access to? I even think about like communal models where it's like, where it's like, why don't you text your group chat and be like, does anyone have a couch they don't want? Does anyone have any leads on a couch they don't want? Does anyone like I now will try to be like, what what am I not utilizing in order to have the things I want? Like I have these sneakers that I never wear because they're dirty. And I was like, oh, I should get rid of them and I should get new sneakers. They're white. I should get rid of them. I should get new sneakers. No, why don't you look up how to clean sneakers and then clean them? Like you have a toothbrush that your dentist gave you that you can use to clean your sneakers. Like why not? I think it's like a recalculating of the way that you think of things so that you're able to save rather than sitting here and going, I need a higher income or like, you know, which maybe you do. But like, I mean, this is just what I'm going through now where it's like, where it's like trying to rethink habits in a way that isn't oh, you can't ever do anything. But there are ways in your bigger, I think people put their head in the sand about bigger stuff. And they they rather just be like, I don't get coffee out versus, okay, well, wh- how is your apartment set up? Is it set up in the best way for you to make money? Is it set up in a way where your like cords are all fucked up and now you're going to have to buy new cords? Just like small, you know, like, I don't know, just like things like that where people don't consider their everyday movements. Can I say something that's probably so incendiary and will like maybe upset a few people? That's what this show is about. Great. I think our generation in some regards gives up a little too easily. When the lamp is broken, they throw the lamp away instead of just buying a new light bulb. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's that kind of thing. Yeah. In the same way that like, you know, sometimes I think we say, you know, because something is a little challenging, we won't do it. Mm-hmm. Or this relationship's not fighting worth fighting for, like moving on to divorce number four. Like, Kind I, of I just chic, think though. that like kind of chic to be divorced. Kind of chic. Though. Yeah. Kind, kind of kind of chic. <laughs> but don't do um, it. I, I had a quote unquote divorce and it's been financially decimating. Gotta say, don't do yes. it. Yes. So like my thing is, is like, I just think that people sometimes give up too easily. And to your exact point, like think about how you can not only make the most of what you already have, mm-hmm. but strategically negotiate to leverage the skills and expertise you you currently possess. Yeah to then be able to get more. And then once you have more, think about what it is your obligation to do with that money. Because I was interviewing Elaine Welteroth, who's the former editor-in-chief at Teen Vogue. And she said, rich people don't just have the privilege, but the obligation Mm -hmm. to do something with that money. And that means lifting up their communities. That means giving back. That means educating the next generation. It's not you know, be rich and hoard your wealth. It's right. Be rich and do something. Right. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think that that's, you know, there's two schools of thought where it's sort of in the financial game where it's sort of 
get rich and then help other people or it's this other school of thought which is like well no one should be rich so fuck you which is kind of this interesting you know I'm sure you know Tori Dunlap where she and I have Mm -hmm. have spoken about that at, at length and so it is interesting right this concept of like can you be a financial feminist can you yeah. be a fight? You know, I'm sure there's people who come to you, but it is interesting because I'm sure there's people that come to you that are like, this is unrelatable and like, fuck off or whatever. But then I, you know, I've seen people then go to other creators and be like, you're unrelatable. Go to Vivian. So it's like this kind of like, it's like who who speaks to you is not necessarily who's like the most socialist or something. Like, I think these, I think it's like, I don't know. It's this personal preference that then becomes like indicative of the entire market, especially for like marginalized people. You never see someone be like, fuck you, Dave Ramsey, go to Jim Cramer. Like, it's just kind of like, they're all the same. I would say, you know, listen, here are my thoughts. There is no such thing as conscious consumerism under capitalism. We are doing the best that we can with what we have. I am very much of the camp that like, yes, we should be writing our legislation. We should be trying Mm -hmm. to enact like legitimate legal change so that the system, you know, is more advantageous or at least equal, equal playing field for communities of color, for people, you know, for women, for the LGBTQ community, for immigrants, for people who grow up low income, all of that. But the thing that frustrates me the most is when people of those communities, myself being a part of a couple of them, right. like they come to me and they say, you know, what's the point? Mm. Like, I, like we should, this, this is not helpful. Like we should, like, this is not going to happen overnight. I'm like, yes, you're right. You currently have to play the game mm-hmm. by the rules currently on the pamphlet mm-hmm. while we try to change the pamphlet rules. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean you can say, I'm not playing. Yeah. Like, that doesn't serve you or anybody or your community. It's not enough to just say, I don't want to be a part of this system. Yeah. You have to play by the rules. And then once you become in a position of power, when you become a manager at the office, like when you're hiring, when you're thinking about how to empower people who haven't necessarily had that opportunity in the past, like what are you going to do to make that change? So it, I think it's really, really naive to say that I'm not going to participate in the system because it's currently unfair. The system's going to stay unfair for a while. Yeah. We can change that, but you got to play to change. I also bet that you pay more in taxes than like Jeff Bezos. Does. Don't get me started. I, I am a like I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm one of the highest tax paying people. I'm yeah. always paying taxes. That's the problem is that it's like, okay, play the game. But the like, cause I've done a bunch of research into very rich people for this show and it, they don't pay taxes. Like, that's the thing is like, if you're Warren Buffett, if you're Charlie Munger, rest in, rest in whatever the opposite of peace is, rest in war, you are not paying taxes on stuff. And then, And then that's the thing is that they have figured out whether through generational wealth or whether through, you know, being sketchy that their money, their money is hidden in places. You know, that's why rich people buy so much art. So like they're not paying the taxes that someone who is new to this or who's a a queer or POC financial educator is is paying probably. And so like that's the big thing that people don't realize is like they're like, oh, these people, you know, you have a lot of money. And it's like there's a very big difference between somebody who has all of their money in offshore accounts 
and who is probably, let's face it, insider trading, but saying they're not insider trading versus like someone who's like, I, I'm i doing all of this in, in like an up and up sort of way. And I'm also passing that knowledge on and not gatekeeping. Like, that's what's frustrating is that those people, we can try to teach people as much as we can and then and then they will maybe do well. But I get so tripped up on like, and in the end, it doesn't matter because Warren Buffett's money is in like Dutch paintings and Switzerland and like, and the the Congress calls him and tells him what, you know what I mean? Like, it just feels very insurmountable in some ways. So I don't know if we're mad at the right people. <laughs> Agreed. I mean, I talk about this. There's a huge difference between being a millionaire and being a billionaire. Like, right. I think it's totally okay to want to be a millionaire. A million dollars these days buys you a comfortable life. Yeah. Not even a luxurious one. A comfortable life. I know. It's so crazy. Having a billion dollars is genuinely unfathomable. You'll never like, spend I did it. This, There's nothing you could spend it on. I did a breakdown of like a millionaire versus billionaire like explanation yeah. based on sand. And I was like, you know, it's a big, a basically like a sugar packet worth of sand is a million dollars. It would take four of my body weight to have a billion dollars. And then I showed what my net worth was like roughly 2.7 sugar packets. Yeah. And I showed it in my hand. I'm like, this is how much money I have. And y'all are mad at me, but this is a billion dollars. Yeah. The amount of money that like Jeff Bezos yeah. has is insane. Yeah. And so it's, it's just not, it's not comparable. There's no reason. And people like, don't get that. There's truly no reason for it. And I don't know what we're going to do because Taylor Swift's a billionaire, but it's just like that. There's, there's no, I mean, again, going after the woman, whatever, but there's just no, I can't imagine getting to a place where you're like, I need all of this, but I, I, I don't know. Maybe that's just, I don't know. I don't know. I can't really come up with a reason why, but I mean, I think like, I, I think, you know, people get really disheartened because they didn't start on Wall Street or they didn't. I've tried on the, I try now to not live in being pissed about the past, like we were talking about with, with stocks. Cause I'm like, wow, if my parents had done X, Y, and Z, like, I'm sure like it was like annoying to be told you could be three jobs. And I'm like, God, what if my parents had been like, be a doctor, you know, where would I be now? So, I mean, but at the end of the day, like you have to start from, unhappy. from somewhere. You'd be unhappy. <laughs> or would I be a doctor? No, I, I yeah. don't know what I would be a doctor of. Well, I mean, so what would you say if someone's listening to this and they're like, okay, how do I get to this. This is, seems unrelatable. I don't know what I'm supposed to do here just to close us out. You, yeah. I would say, listen, you, if you want to be rich, you should strip. And everyone's always like, Oh, what the fuck? No, strip it's is cash. an acronym. <laughs> Wait, what? I said, because you have a lot of cash and you don't have to pay tax. You do have to pay taxes. I'm just kidding. You do. You do. But strip is an acronym. S stands for savings. If you can put three to six months of living expenses aside, that really does help put a buffer in between you and any sort of financial duress. T stands for total debt. You would rank your debt from highest to lowest interest rate and pay it down that way. Just being an Aries, I'm really impatient. So I want to spend as little time paying down debt and pay it down most efficiently where I'm paying the least in fees and interest. So we're doing that. 
R stands for retirement because listen, today you need to take care of future you. So set up a retirement account. This is something like a 401k or 403b through your employer or an IRA or Roth IRA individually. If you're self-employed, there are things like solo 401ks or SEP IRAs. And then we move into I, invest. It's not enough to put cash into these investment accounts. You actually have to take that cash and buy stuff. So like we mentioned, index funds, target date retirement funds, or even just getting a robo-advisor is a good idea. You You have to buy things, unfortunately. You have to buy stuff. You have to buy stuff. And, you know, that's a great way to invest. And then P is plan. You don't get to ride off into the sunset happily ever after unless you know what that looks like. Do you want to retire at 35 and live in an Airstream? Do you want to retire at 65 and would love have to your live in an Airstream? <laughs> See, that's my nightmare. That's actually my nightmare. Okay, why do people hate Airstreams? Fun. I, I, I should not have to explain this to you, Gabe. Well, here's a here's the thing that's come up a few times is that I'm I'm from like a a like a rednecky Florida situation, and people are always like, I'm like, wow, a a a mobile home like that's luxurious. And people are like, you don't know what good things are. <laughs> you know, I think everybody has their own happily ever after. Mine does not include an airstream. Mine includes helping my kid or kids go to school, having my little English bulldog named Pickles running around and I can afford Pickles' heartworm medication. And, you know, I I have a home with a pool because that's the ultimate pinnacle of luxury for me. And, you know, you just have to plan for the future. But if you guys do want to learn more about being good with your money and how to budget, save, ask for a raise at work and invest more effectively, as well as things like taxes or credit scores and paying down debt. I do have an upcoming book, Rich AF. You can pre-order a copy at richaf.me because I made the URL a manifestation because of who I am as a person. But I think it'll be great. And I really hope this can be a roadmap for everyone listening on how to get your finances in check if you have no idea what to do. Thank you so much, Vivian. I really appreciate it. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Bad With Money with Gabe Shane Dunn is a production of Noted Bisexual, produced by Melissa D. Monts and Diamond M. Print Productions, edited by Diane King, post-production sound by Coco Lorenz, and music by Mike Kaplan, Zach Sherwin, and Jack Dolgen, as sung by Sam Barbera. Thank you, love you, bye! Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.